I love that, that he said that he can maximize his time. Maybe because I went a little over last night. I'm not really sure. I, I don't worry too much when people start checking their watches, but when they pull their calendars out, I get really concerned. But I, I'm going to get through. They tell me that there is a red light that's going to come on when the bell rings, and then when it comes on the second time, that means it's time for me to be quiet. And I'm going to try to look back there and make sure that I notice that, Kyle, tonight, today, and, and watch if that's the case. It has been so good to be here. I, this is a wonderful congregation. It's my first time to ever be here at the Buford Church of Christ. And your, your love for each other and your love for the Lord and your desire to see this church grow is just inspiring. And I'm thankful for you and thankful for the time that I have to be with you. In the moments that we have this morning, we're going to talk about open our eyes to see the hurts. This is 2020. We need to have clear vision. We need to see hurts. We need to see opportunities. We need to see hindrances. We need to see the church for what it is. And we need to see hope for what it is. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the course of today, by the way. We're going to talk at this moment about open your eyes to see the hurts. And then in the worship hour, open your eyes to see the hindrances. And then finally at the one o'clock, open your eyes to see the hope. And I don't know if you've planned on staying till one. I know that some of you may not be able to, and some of you have thought, well, I haven't brought any food or I haven't done. Just stay anyway. Just stay anyway. It'll be great. We're going to spend some time together, and having that time together is a special, special time. Have you heard about Chippy? Uh, Chippy was in the news a number of years ago. Chippy was a parakeet, and, and he lived a really nice parakeet life with a really good parakeet owner who cared a whole lot about him. One day, the owner, the lady, was, uh, opened up his cage because the bottom needed to be cleaned out, and she was in a hurry, so she decided to use a vacuum cleaner. And just as she was vacuuming it out, her phone rang, and she turned around to look at the phone when she heard, Shoop! and she looked back, and Chippy wasn't anywhere to be found. So she realized she has just vacuumed up Chippy, her, her wonderful parakeet. So she quickly opens up the bag that it was in, and there in the middle of the dust and the dirt and the grime is Chippy. He's still alive, but he's really stunned. So she does what any good, loving parakeet owner would do. She runs him to the bathroom, turns on the shower, and starts washing him under the shower. And as she's doing that and getting all that dirt off, she realizes he is shivering and soaking wet, so she does what any wonderful uh, owner would do. She gets out the hairdryer and <laughs> all over Chippy and puts him back in the cage. About a week later, uh, when the news had reported this, by the way, because it was a funny story, but they went back, the man who made the story interviewed her again. And, she said, and he said, how's Chippy doing? She said, well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. I find that interesting that Chippy was sucked in, washed up, and blown over, and it's a perfectly good description of where we are in our lives. Sometimes life hits us hard. Sometimes we feel a little sucked in, washed up, blown over. It's a difficult thing. Life has those moments for us. M. Scott Peck wrote a book and called, entitled The Road Less Traveled, and it begins with a three-word sentence. And it's really a profound sentence. It says, life is difficult. Oh, it is, isn't it? Life is incredibly difficult. When you look at 
Galatians chapter 6. Turn over there for a moment. I've been assigned verse 2 as the primary verse, but I really want us to look at, at the context of it. So look at verses 1 through 5. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. He says, bear one of those burdens in verse 2, but he says, beginning in verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each man examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. What I want you to do is, for a moment, notice what it is that Paul is commanding us to do. And then I want you to see the application. How do I actually do it? I want to know what it is that he's telling me that I need to do. Bear one another's burdens. I was asked some time ago at a better conference. It's a conference that preachers go to to learn how to preach better. And they asked me to talk to the preachers about how to minister to hurting people. And as I was preparing that, I thought about this, that there is not a family that I know, not a person that I know, that doesn't have pain somewhere. It might be physical pain, it might be emotional pain, it might be relational pain, it might be spiritual pain, but I can tell you that everybody, everywhere, undergoes pain, no matter who they are. So what do I do about that? Well, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's interesting to me that he starts out in verse 1 under that theme of bearing one another's burdens with somebody overtaken in a fault. He says, if somebody's overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Part of bearing each other's burdens means that when I see somebody overtaken by something that is sinful, when I see them overtaken by something that is going to take their soul away from God, I have a responsibility there. Bearing one another's burdens involves helping people escape sin. But it's more than that. The bearing of burdens is broader than that. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He's not implying that the only way to do that is to keep people out of sin. The word for burden here is an interesting word. It's a word that means in that first part, bear one another's burdens. It means a heavy, heavy load. There are some things that we just can't carry by ourselves. I remember hearing somebody tell me one time that God will never allow you to have anything that's more than you can handle. That God doesn't ever allow anything to happen to us that's bigger than we can handle. That's heresy, guys. It's based on a misinterpretation of the passage that says there has no temptation taken you, but such as man can bear. But God is faithful who will with the temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What Paul is talking about there is this, that God will never get you in a position of temptation that you can't escape it. Every temptation that comes to you, he will either provide strength to meet it or a way to escape it, whatever it is. But that's not life. That's temptation. I want to tell you something. The world is bigger than you are. And sometimes things that are beyond your control pile up on you, and there is no way that you can get out. Not by yourself. So what do we find? Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. By the way, can I just tell you the world was designed because he knew, God knew, that you and I needed to look to eternity. 
And this whole world is preparing us for eternity. And when those burdens come to my life, you know what it makes me want? It makes me want a better world. It makes me want a world where God will wipe away all tears and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. I'm looking forward to that. And the longer I have crying in my life and the longer I have pain in my life and the more that I know suffering in my life and the more I see it in the lives of others, the more I can't wait. I'm getting homesick for a place I've never even seen. The world is designed this way. Read Romans chapter 8 sometime where he talks about those burdens and then he talks about hope and that all of this, the world was subjected to futility, he says, not willingly, but by him who subjected it in hope. The world was designed to be bigger than we are so that you and I would hope for something better. So he says, bear one another's heavy loads. Some loads are just too much. Sometimes we're down in a pit and we can't get out. And I want to tell you, when I think about people in pits, I think about how people respond to them. You know, an IRS agent will come by and say, have you paid taxes on your pit? Or, or a moralist will come by and say, you know, if you had lived a better life and been more a person that was looking out for where you were going, you'd have never fallen in this pit. A psychiatrist will come and say, I can give you enough drugs to keep you from even realizing you're in a pit. A psychologist will come by and say, you know, really, this is sort of a half full glass. I want you to think about how good you have it in your pit. There are others who will come along and say he's in that pit because of his mom and dad and they were terrible parents. But Jesus will come along and say, here, and pull them out of the pit. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be a person who opens my eyes to the hurts and sees what's going on there. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The word bear is also an interesting word in the Greek because it means to lift something up or to carry something off. So when he says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, what he's saying is, I want you to help them pick it up and carry it away from them. That's what I want you to do. That's what we do as children of God. But if you look carefully at this passage, what you saw in verse 2 and what you saw in verse 5, at first glance, seem to be contradictory. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But he says in the last verse that we read, in verse 5, let every man carry his own burden or carry his own load. Somebody says, well, which is it? Do we bear one another's burdens or we say, hey, that's yours. You take care of that. Well, if you don't, again, go back to the original languages, it may be a little bit more difficult. The word that he uses for burden in verse 5, or load as it's translated, I think, in the New King James, is a different word than the word that's used for burden in verse 2. The word in verse 2 means something that's so heavy I can't pick it up by myself. The word in verse 5 is the word that was used for a soldier who had a pack, and he had to carry that pack. Nobody else could carry the soldier's pack for him. It was his duty, it was his responsibility to do what needed to be done. That was his burden. That was his load. There are some things that I can't carry for you. I can't believe God for you. You have to do that. I can't repent for you. I would love to, but I can't. It's not my load to carry. That's your load to carry. There are people in the world that only you can reach. 
And that's your load to carry. All the people, all the preachers in the world preaching all that they can can't reach the people that you can reach. And that's your load. Every one of us has a burden, has a responsibility that we can't pass off to anybody else. Your responsibility to forgive people who have hurt you is your load. It's not mine, it's yours. You have to carry that. To go into all the world and preach the gospel, your load. Every one of us has that responsibility, and we can't pass that off. Now, the good news is that Jesus says, my load is easy, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's really true, compared to living your life in sin, everything that's your load to carry is a lot simpler than it is. If you think that Christianity is hard, you try living some other way. Sin is more difficult. I can promise you that sin is more difficult. How do you do that? What does he say about it? Bear one another's burdens. Now listen to the next thing in verse 2. And so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Well, if you look at it and you think about it, you know what that law is. Remember Jesus, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, where he said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. The command of Christ has to do with love. When he was asked the great commandment in the law, he said, well, there's two of them, actually. One of them is greater, and the second one is like it, and everything else depends on it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He says, everything that God has ever told you to do can be boiled down to two things. Love God, love your neighbor. When, it's, when I bear the burdens of someone else, I'm fulfilling that, which tells me that if I refuse to bear the burdens that other people carry, I'm not doing this. This is the law of God. Love one another as I have loved you. Listen to John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love each other as I have loved you. Or as Paul said at Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, all the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said, you want to get this. This is really what it's about. Well, so if, if that's the statement, and, and we have to open our eyes to the hurts, how do we apply all this? What difference does that make? I, I want to tell you that whenever you find a scripture, there are three questions you need to ask about that scripture. The first question you need to ask is, what does it say? Somebody says, well, that's pretty obvious. It says what it says. It means what it means. But I am amazed at how often I can read a passage that I've read a thousand times before and find something brand new in it that I've never thought about. And you know what it takes? It means every time that I read it, I read it as though I've never seen it before. Suddenly, things take on new meaning. I don't mark in my Bible. I, a lot of you probably do. I don't write any notes on the side of my Bible. And a lot of you, I have no problem if that's what you do. But the reason that I don't is because I don't want to see that verse the same way every time I see it. I want to see it new. I want to see it as though I've never heard it before. I want to discover something in it every single time. Okay, so I look at the passage and I learn something from that passage. What does it say? What are the actual words of that passage? Don't just skip over it or think you've read it. Read every single word and pause on every single word for a moment and then read it all together. What does it say? The second thing you need to ask yourself about any passage is, what does it mean? 
Once I know what it says, what does that mean? I want to sometimes, if I can, go back to the original languages, and other times I want to see it in the context of the paragraph and the chapter and the book that it finds it in and compare it to other passages that are similar to that and understand, what does this mean? But the third question, which is equally important, is, so what? Or maybe, another way to say that in a nicer way is, what does that mean to me? What does it say, what does it mean, and what do I need to do about it? How do I need to respond to this? Every time I see a passage, what does that mean to me? What difference does it make? And every passage makes a difference. So I want to look at this passage and say, okay, what does it mean to us? What does it mean to us who gather here right now? Well, let me just suggest to you, first of all, that it does mean that every single Christian has a burden. I don't care who you are. There's a common idea among televangelists that if you'll just donate so much money to their ministry, that your life will be beautiful. You'll be president of your company by the time you're 40, and God will just shower blessings on you, and everything's going to be great. Again, it's heresy, but that's what they're teaching, that that's going to be the case. But the Bible says that's not true. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the proving of your faith works patience. James says that in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. You and I are going to have trials. You and I are going to have difficulties in our lives. We're going to have burdens. I remember a story told long, long ago about a lady whose son had died, her only son. She was a widow. And she was distraught and couldn't seem to get on with her life at all. She went to a wise man in the village and she said, I need help. What can you do for me? My son is gone. And he said, ma'am, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to every home in this village. And if after this village, I want you to go, if you need to, beyond this village to the next. And if there is a home, when you find a home where there is no trouble, I want you to ask them for a mustard seed. If you can bring me a mustard seed from that home, I will bring your son back to life. She was gone for a long time. When she finally came back, she said, I've been selfish. I can't find a home that doesn't have trouble. Every home has trouble. And oh, they do. Every single one of them has trouble. What are some of the things they have trouble with? Some of you here have, have actually stood by the casket of someone who holds more than half your heart. You know what that's like. You stood there and wondered how you would survive that day or the next, or even if you wanted to. Those are heavy burdens, incredibly heavy burdens. There's the burden of sickness. Some of you are suffering with that right now. Cancer is a terrible thing. And in a congregation this size, in your family unit somewhere, I can almost promise you there's someone who has cancer. Sickness is, is a terrible thing. Others of you are just struggling with aging. You know, you, you started out, you can remember when you were 20 years old and you would spring out of bed, you turned 40 and your spring broke, and then now you're 60 or 70. And, uh, and you're not even sure you got a spring. If you do, it's got some sharp edges. I'm telling you, everybody here deals with that. 
everybody will ultimately deal with that. How about the people who are hurting because you trusted people and they let you down? How about the people who were married and had a spouse that came to them and said, I don't love you anymore, I found someone else. And every day of your life, you know the pain of rejection and loneliness. Some of you have the burden of unemployment. Or maybe since our economy is better, you may have the burden of underemployment. And you have a job, but it's certainly not the job that you were hoping for. There's some people here who are burdened with the consequences of foolishness, of sin, choices that you've made that have come back to haunt you, and now you're having to carry those burdens. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. God wants us to help people. How are we going to do that? Can I suggest two things up front about that? Number one, that you can't bear burdens until you open your eyes and see the burdens that people have. You have to get close enough to people to see the burdens that they're carrying. You have to get close enough to them to understand what they're going through when they're going through this. And then there's a second thing, guys, and this is, this is really important. If you're carrying a burden, you have to be willing to admit it. If you're carrying a burden, you have to tell somebody about it. I think pride gets in our way sometimes. It's America. We're supposed to be independent. We're supposed to be like John Wayne. It doesn't matter what happens. We just bear up and we're tough. John Wayne, John Wayne was a great movie star. Uh, he is a terrible example for living your life. I'm telling you, people need to know what's going on. And so many times, we're not open and honest enough with people to let them know. Sometimes we're not observant enough about people to notice what they're going through. And then sometimes the reason for that is we're not really spending enough time with each other. I, I love the early church that daily from house to house and in the temple took their food with gladness and singleness of heart. And I don't mean that everybody ought to get together every day. But you and I really need to spend enough time together that we know each other, that we really know how each other thinks, that we know what we're going through that we know what's happening to them, and that takes time, and that takes effort. It means that I need to let people help me. That's hard for me. I don't know if it is for you or not. It is hard for me to let people help me. I, it's pretty easy for me to help other people, but it's really hard for me to let people help me. You need to do that. You'll give them the opportunity and the blessing of doing that. Somebody says, but, but it ought to be just me and the Lord. He ought to help me carry that burden. If, if I'm a Christian, God will help me. Well, it's true, he does. He does. Listen, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fail. That's Psalm 55, verse 22, or 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God does, but how does God care for you? Here's a good example of how he does it. I want you to turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and look at verses 5 through 7. 2nd is depressed. Paul is discouraged. And he's lost his energy. Listen to what he says as he writes back to the Corinthians. Again, 2nd Corinthians 7, 5 through 7. Indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. 
Now listen to how he says God helped him. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Paul said, God did comfort me. Guess how he did it? With Titus. God comforted me through Titus. God does take care of you, but often he takes care of you through people. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. That God has taken care of us and he's done it through people. I just want to tell you some stories here. I, I, I had a, Beverly and I used to go down every year to uh, Puerto Rico where we worked with Caribbean Christian College. We would lecture there in the college for a week. We always had one day <clears throat> where we could go and explore the island. And on this particular day, uh, Brother Fogarty, uh, was the, who was the director of the school, the president of the school at that time, said, take my car and go across the island over to Ponce. It's the prettiest part of Puerto Rico. And he said, I think you'll really enjoy it. Well, when I saw his car, I was a little concerned. It did not look real healthy. It had dents all over it. It ran a little rough. But I thought, well, he's been driving it. He knows what he's doing. We drove over the mountains and went down to Ponce, just got into Ponce, and the motor stopped, and we could not get it started again. So I called up Brother Fogarty on the other side of the island, and I said, Brother Fogarty, I said, your car has died. He said, well, you're just going to have to find your way back, because I'm just telling you, I don't have the time or the money to fix it or come and get you. And here we were on the other side of an island. I had no idea what I was going to do. Beverly was with me. We had two little children. One was, one was just a newborn and the other was, and Beverly's sitting on a bench while I'm calling Brother Fogarty. And I turned around and looked at her and thought, what in the world are we going to do? We were very young and we were very poor. And I thought, I have no way of paying for anything to get us back across this island. What in the world are we going to do? When a gentleman in a, in a dress shirt and tie showed up and he said, I couldn't help overhear that conversation. He said, are you, are you having trouble with your car? And I said, well, yes, sir, uh, we really are. He said, well, I have a brother-in-law in the business. And I thought, oh, no. I know what this is going to do. A brother-in-law in the business. He said, and he can take care of that. And I said, well, uh, I had no other choice. I said, okay. Uh, and so he stayed with us, and he, he went and got his brother-in-law. They towed the car back to where he was, and, and by the way, the brother-in-law was really literally a shade tree mechanic. He worked under a tree. And he, he worked on that car all day long, and I was trying to think, how much is this going to cost me? While the gentleman that originally talked to us just stayed with us the entire time. And then about 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the evening, uh, he said, well, my brother-in-law has it fixed, but there's a problem. I thought, oh, no. He said, it's going to have to have a battery. It was an electrical problem. It shorted out the battery, and so he's replaced the part that needs to be replaced, but we have to have a new battery. And he said, but I've got a friend in the business. I thought, oh, man. And he said, although his auto parts store is closed, I'm sure that I can get him to open it up and get you a battery. And so, sure enough, he talked to his friend. We went over. We got the battery, put it in the car. It cranked right up. And I'm trying to figure out if I can give this guy a check and ask him to hold it for 30 days because I'm, I know I don't have enough money to pay for this. I'm sure I don't. I don't know what in the world I'm going to do. But I asked him, I said, how much do I owe you? He said, you don't owe me a thing. He said, I did this for God. And he said, I wanted to help you because I did this for God. 
And he said, and do you see on the cliff overlooking the Caribbean there? He said, that's the nicest restaurant in Ponce. He said, you and your family have reservations there, and it's all taken care of. God has taken care of me when I couldn't take care of myself. And he's done it with people. I could tell you story after story after story like that. Yes, God helps us bear our burdens, and he helps us bear our burdens through people. He helps other people bear burdens through us. That's what he does. Well, let me move on. I, I'm a big J.R.R. Tolkien fan. I don't know about you, but I just love J.R.R. Tolkien, and I, I have read the Lord of the Rings trilogy I don't know how many times. I was so thrilled when Peter Jackson finally came up with a decent version of a movie that came back to talk a little bit about Lord of the Rings in that process. And if you don't know the story, then you've probably been living under a rock. But if you don't know, if, if you don't know the story, I, I just want to tell you that, that it's about this ring of power that controls everything. And it was made by Sauron, who is the uh, representation of Satan on earth. He is this powerful, evil being. And whoever has the ring falls under his power. And now, and it can control all other peoples on the earth. And he's now looking for a ring, that ring because he's lost it. But everybody who has it gets corrupted by it. Frodo, who is a hobbit, has been given that ring and given the responsibility, along with a, a group of nine people, to go to Mount Doom and put it back in the fires from which it was formed and destroy the ring so that evil would disappear. The story goes on through three different books, and most of the people aren't able to make that journey all the way to Mount Doom. But Sam and Frodo are able to get to the base of Mount Doom, but by this time, all of Frodo's strength is gone. The ring has taken everything away from him. Sam tries to encourage him, and he talks about the shire that they came from, and talks about the fruit trees and the people and what it's like. Frodo says, I can't see them. All I can see is the fire. I can't go any further. And Sam said, I may not be able to carry the ring, but I can carry you. And he put him on his back and carried him up toward Mount Doom. You and I can't carry everything, but we can carry each other. I think it's the way that we're supposed to work. Some of you will remember a news story. It started taking place on June, July 25th in 2002 at the Kew Creek Mine. It happened in Pennsylvania. But there were several men who went down into the Kew Creek Mine. They were trying to mine out the coal that was supposed to be there. They didn't realize that the Saxman Mine which had been long abandoned, was right next to the mine that they were digging. And by mistake, they dug into the Saxman mine, which was filled with millions of gallons of water. And they found themselves trapped in an opening that was less than four feet high, that was 18 inches wide, that was a mile and a half from the mouth of that mine, and 240 feet below the ground. They were trapped there, for over three days, while 200 miners were trying to get them out. They all survived. 
It was amazing that they all survived. And when they interviewed the miners as they came out, they said, we made a decision when we found out that we were alive, that we would either all live or we would all die together. We weren't going to give up on anybody. The water was 55 degrees. You know something about that. It means that after just a short time you get hypothermia and you're going to die from that. You should have died within three days, but this is what they did. When people got cold, all the miners got around them, and they would hold them until the body heat would build up again. And when someone began to panic, they all would come to him and they would encourage him. They prayed together. They sang together. Harry Mayhew, who was one of those miners, said everybody had strong moments. But at any certain time, one guy got down and the rest pulled together. And then that guy would get back up and someone else would feel weaker. It was a team effort, but it was the only way that we could survive. That's the way we survive, guys. We survive because we need each other. I have a friend named Milt Langston. He is one of the ministers at the uh, Southwest Church of Christ in San Angelo, Texas. He's an amazing man who's done mission work all over the world, but his greatest mission work was done in Africa. And he tells the story of uh, a member of his congregation in Africa whose name was Kudu. He was a native. His name was Kudu. If you know anything about them, that is a large antelope that has the spiraled antler, spiraled horns that come up from it. He received his name from that. And one day Kudu told him that my brothers and I are going to have to go lion hunting. He said, lion hunting? He said, yes, we do. He said, there's a lion that's been coming into our village and killing off our animals, threatening our children, and we're going to have to go and kill it. Well, Milt knew that there was only one gun in that entire village, and it was a, it was a rifle, an old, old rifle, that was literally held together with duct tape. And he said, how are you going to hunt that lion? And he said, this is what we do. He said, some of us will carry spears, and some of us will carry bows, and one of us will carry the gun, and we will track that lion all the way until we find him. And he said, when the lion realizes that we're tracking him, he's going to get angry, he's going to turn and charge us, and that's when we'll kill him. And Milt said, you know, I think I might like to go on that. It sounds like an adventure, and I have a rifle. And Kudu bowed his head and thought about it for a minute, and he said, no, no, you don't take friends on a lion hunt. You only take brothers, because if one person runs, everybody dies. You and I are not just friends. We're family. And we're not going to run. We're not going to run away. We're going to stand. We're going to stand with each other because we're not going to let you die. That's who we are. Open your eyes to see the people that are around you. Well, thank you. Let's have a prayer. Father, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for this moment where we can come together. We thank you that we are family here. We ask that we might see each other and see the hurts and the needs that are around us and never ignore them. Help us instead to strengthen one another and never let each other go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. That thing beeped.